This is Mike Montero. I'm Erica Hall. This is Larissa Berger. We're broadcasting from Mule Design Studio in beautiful North Beach, San Francisco. This is Voice of Design. Do we have our levels now? Are we good? Okay, good to go. Cool. We can like sort of officially start. Cool. All right. Okay. Well, I'll do our thing. Let's get that energy up. Yeah. Hot. Hey. Holiday spirit. My my first podcast. So uh, help help me through it. Uh, it's uh, it's it's just like it it really just like having a phone call with us. You know, just like that. A way to make it fun. What a phone call? It's like us? being on the phone. <laughs> uh, Mike, on- don't lie. You love being on the phone. Yeah. It's your preferred telecommunication system. It's that doesn't mean I love it. Okay. It means I know it works. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Design coming to you from our basement headquarters. Stronghold. <laughs> Strong our stronghold, <laughs> our fortress in beautiful North Beach. I'm Erica Hall. And I'm Larissa Berger. I'm here too. That's uh Mike Montero. And today we're joined by friend of Mule, John Mahoney, the vice president of digital products at the National Audubon Society. Yes. Right. That's right. Did I get that right? It's the bird's all, place. That all, sounds, that all sounds correct to me. Fantastic. Well, John, we're so happy to be uh, talking with you again because we, we worked with you on some cool stuff a few years ago. And why don't you just uh, tell us about the Audubon Society? I know people know, oh, it's people who do things regarding birds. Most people know that. And uh, and what have you been doing there? Sure. Yeah, it's a great to talk to you guys again. I, as you said, am the vice president of digital products. So what I do here at the Audubon Society is more or less oversee our public-facing products, which right now include our website and various different sections and offerings on the website and our mobile app. And the mobile app has been getting majority of my attention in the last year or so, but our website is still very much alive and well and evolving and changing all the time. So that's what I do for Audubon. And what Audubon does in general is we protect birds in the places they need. We're distributed all around the United States. Uh, We have state offices in, I'm always going to get the number of state offices and nature centers we have wrong, so I'm not going to say it, but we have presence in several states and we also have nature centers all around the United States. We do a lot of work to protect habitat and protect birds and yeah. Yeah. And the the cool thing we learned uh, working with the Audubon Society is that I don't think there's a person who doesn't like birds on some level. So unlike any other organization or any other business we've ever dealt with, except I think there were maybe some cat people or something that weren't too, too keen. There's a little... Cat people yeah. are pretty horrible. And it's only a response to what can at times be a militant, bird-loving stance of keep all the cats inside at its most humane. Yeah. Versus there should not be as many cats as there are in the United States. But anyway, yes, I think you're totally right. Agreed. Birds yeah. are all around us every day, and uh, you don't have to work that hard to see them. Yeah, and they're cool because they're dinosaurs. Yeah, and you can see, even if all you see is a pigeon, you know, you're like, you see birds just constantly. I was not a bird 
person. I mean, I, I certainly had nothing against birds when I came to work at the Audubon Society <laughs> four years ago. Uh, since I've been here, yeah, I mean, it's just been really eye-opening. If you go out birding with someone who's really experienced, just, you know, I live in New York City, so various places around the city, like, you just it's just incredible to see what's there and what's been there all along, and you just haven't really noticed. Like, you can hang out with Jonathan Franzen and go bird-watching, right? No comment. <laughs> but everybody loves birds. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, they're weird. Birds are weird. Yeah. The reason I, that I wanted to chat with you is that everybody loves the work we did together that that Audubon website is still I guess what it we were working together like what five years ago and it launched like four years ago something like that I think it was four and three four and a half and and yeah we launched it in January of 15 I guess that would have been yeah. It's definitely one of, if not our most successful project in terms of not just the work that we did, but the the longevity of it. And, you know, people are still bringing it up years later. I love hearing that people are still asking you about it. That's so great. Yeah. And not just, I will say, not just asking us about it, but they'll bring it up and they will say, oh, Audubon. Like they talk about it, about the website with this enthusiasm that I've rarely heard other people say like we've heard like oh that was nice work that was solid work but they they have this emotional connection and I think all like so much of the credit for that I think goes to like your team over there and uh you know the people uh the writing is so good and of course the images are so good but like I'm like all, all we did is is kind of figure out a way to to link it up and so that's why I wanted to like talk about that because when people come to us and we, we, we get people asking us like, oh, can you help us like design another Audubon site? And I'm like, well, you, you know, there are all these things that you can't see that were things that the organization had to do and think about that, you know, you guys did so well. Yeah, the, the, the success of the project is all behind the scenes. It's the way that, that everything was like queued up and, and ready to go. And a lot of that was done before we even got there. Not, you know, not to minimize our, you know, general <laughs> mastery of the situation. But. And the birds. People love birds. They're goddamn photogenic. Yeah. I mean, we really get people are. We get people who are like, hey, we want to be the, the Audubon Society of Medical Devices. And it's like, <laughs> let's see, show me the photos of your stuff. It's like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's just, that's like, where does that go? No, I'm not going to put that picture up there. It's not a bird. <laughs> Birds are handsome. Yeah, we actually did do a, a public education site for ophthalmological diseases once. And yeah, still scarred by those photos. Oh, man. I can't imagine. Uh, so can you, let's see if we can like go back years ago and think about, can you recall like how... Like when you and the folks over there were talking about like, oh, we should get some designers to like come in and help us. How did you guys know like, oh, it's time to like to do this? Yeah. So what brought me to Audubon was to embark on this project to redesign and relaunch the site. And at that time, so we had a relatively new CEO, David Arnold, you know, who was really starting to kick his changes into high gear around that time. And one of the changes that the organization knew it needed to make is to try to unify what had 
previously been two very separate parts of the organization, which were a magazine, which has been published since the early 1900s. And, you know, it was a very sort of venerable brand in and of itself. And also Audubon, the conservation organization. You know, in, in many ways, both externally and internally, those two things were seen as sort of separate entities. And that, you know, one of David and Arnold's sort of starting points is that that needed to change. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of what drew me to this project and which was, seemed like a really exciting opportunity. Sort of my background is in publishing and, you know, working for magazine websites uh, and other sorts of publishing projects online and to sort of take everything I knew from that world and try to apply and try to build a site for an audience and then get them to engage in the organization in some form seemed like a really cool challenge. And, you know, Audubon's really unique in that we have this, we have two things we can give you online. We can tell you about the work we do and tell you about birds. And we can also, you know, give you lots of great stories and photos of birds on a really regular basis. So that's what sort of brought me to the project. So, and it was, a really fortunate place to be where, you know, we, the organization before I even gotten there knew that this needed to happen. And so, yeah, we were able to kind of just hit the ground running, or I was anyway, with the web project. Yeah. And I, I think that's one, I think of the key points when other organizations want to talk to us about this is, is the fact that, you know, you came out of publishing into this. So it wasn't just like, oh, an organization is just going to like, hire some designers and uh, and they're going to take care of everything. But the fact that you already had that, you already knew what it took to do like a, a high quality publication, right? which is essentially what this, uh, you know, this website, it, I mean, it's a lot of things. It involves like, you, you know, talking about the citizen science and the, you know, the fundraising and the, uh, the advocacy work, but it really is at the heart of it, like a real content operation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I would say four years in, we're still trying to strike the absolute right balance there, you know, because we want to attract the largest possible audience around this thing that they're passionate about, birds. But, you know, we also want that audience to, to support the organization and get involved. And that, you know, takes many, many different forms. That's still something we're trying to improve and work on every day. But it, the starting point remains, I think, unique, and it's why this has been so exciting, is that, you know, we have a big audience. They're coming to us not because they love the National Audubon Society, you know. They're coming to us largely because they love birds, and we can then take that interest and sort of show them things they can do with it, which is great. Yeah, and I think that was that was really, I remember one of the big concerns that folks over there expressed to us was, how to balance that, like the, because, because some of the tone is in the editorial stuff from the magazine was sort of cheeky. And then the organization has a real serious mission. And we were really going to try to have one property that kind of blended those together. Yeah. And I would say it was great to have kind of the blessing from on high to sort of explore different tones. I I don't know if you remember when we launched it, we had that photo of the crane with its head sort of upside down and he was saying, oh, hello there, like on the front. And, you know, our CEO referenced that multiple times, how he just loved that we kind of came out of the gate with a different sort of tone than what I think many people were expecting. And that's part of what we wanted. One of the main goals of the site is to sort of change things up. But on the flip side, yeah, I mean, we're, we're still, like I said, that's trying to find the perfect balance between, 
you know, presenting the information we need to present as an organization, as a conservation organization doing serious work and creating the content that brings in a wider audience around birds is, you know, it's, it's still, it's, it's a constantly evolving project. And I can't say here that we've cracked it, you know, we're, we're always experimenting with new things and trying to both internally and externally strike that right balance. Organizationally, like how do you create space for that? Because I feel like a lot of times uh, we work with clients and it's really tough to kind of do both things. First, kind of pull the organization, it's an identity away from the interest and what draws that audience, not have those two mesh together. And secondly, to have a voice, even though your goal is to draw a broader audience, because there's often this feeling, especially with like nonprofits and mission-driven organizations, that they're to achieve what their mission is. They actually have to be kind of like the neutral party and not have that voice and tone like you just described. Yeah. I hate to try to speak for the whole organization since I'm just one tiny, tiny little cog making my little digital things over here. So yeah, but you know, from my sort of perspective on it, I mean, it very much helps that we had a CEO in David Arnold who was ready to, who just wanted to make that change, you know? And I think organizationally it would be a much, much different scene and probably closer to kind of what you were describing. You see a typical when, you know, you have a project team who wants to really change things up, but you need to get buy-in both horizontally and up the ladder. Um, and, you know, thankfully that wasn't the moment we found ourselves in with this project. So I think that's kind of why it felt maybe like it was easier because we just, you know, we had a mandate for change. Yeah. One of the things that, that I remember about your team is there wasn't a jerk trying to gum up the works <laughs> as, you know, we run into so often. There's somebody who, who hasn't totally bought in, who's trying to undermine all the work that's being done. And I don't remember that on the Audubon team, like from the moment we got there, everybody was on the same page and everybody had like the same idea of what success was going to look like. And I mean, there were definitely arguments during the project of, of how to get there, but I don't think anybody was arguing about the destination. Yeah, I I think that's right. And I think there's two reasons for that in terms of our specific project. One is that like everyone was just dying for change. The website prior to its current iteration was no one was happy with it. Zero people were happy with it. And it was impossible to get new information onto the website. And, you know, just in all respects, it was not doing anything for the organization. So, you know, I think that really definitely helps if you're sort of facing these kinds of scary moments of change to know that like, well, we can't go anywhere but up. The second reason is that, you know, I think we sort of tried and I certainly tried to jump in front of some of those moments before they got to you guys, you know, like, I think that's important if you're bringing in an external team to do a big, huge design project with millions of stakeholders involved. I don't want you to be hearing every sort of anxiety based, um, you know, reason why we shouldn't do or make some of the decisions we were making. You know, I, I wanted to try to make sure we resolved as many of those as we could here before. And so we could give to you a nice, clean and happy message on which way to go forward. You know, I can't say that we completely eliminated that from your guys' process, but 
you know, that, that was one of my goals is to try to just make. There were definitely some. And, there, and I mean, it would have been impossible to eliminate them completely. Of course. But just the idea of getting everybody rallied around a goal. Yep. Uh, which which is I think is the most important thing that that an organization could do to ensure the success of a project. And knowing that everybody and ha- having that done ahead of time and having that be like the first step in a, in a successful project of any sort is that everybody on the project agrees on what that goal is. Uh, not necessarily how to get there or what it looks like, but let like let's all agree that we're driving north. Yeah, totally. We've been, I mean, we've been on on a bunch of projects where you know we'd get there and half the people would want to drive north and half the people would want to drive south, and then the project turns into well, let's figure out a way to make both people happy, which is impossible. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And we really like we could see the work that you were like you personally were doing. That's something we're trying to figure out how to help organizations with a a lot now, because, yeah, a lot of times people think "Oh, we're going to we're going to hire this external firm and they're going to take care of everything, including the internal communication. And that that's kind of impossible. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. And in a way, I mean, the Audubon project is kind of what got us to the kind of work that we're doing now because mm-hmm. it you know cemented this idea that if you want to like success help help an organization with a successful redesign it starts much 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 earlier than most organizations think it does mm-hmm. the hard work is getting people aligned it's redesigning the organization itself to make sure that they're you know set up for success with Audubon, they did. I mean, you guys had that work like 80% done by the time we got there. So we actually learned a lot from the stuff that, that you did to get ready for this. And I think that's, that's the area that we've moved into now. Yeah. Cause all, everything about the strategy and the fact that, uh, you know, David Arnold, the CEO, and I think I mentioned this to you, I think having so many people with influence who came out of journalism, cause Journalists have the kind of critical thinking and and way of kind of getting to the heart of issues and communicating clearly and being able to have disagreements without having them get really unpleasant and toxic while also being really clear on deadlines. And I think I think David brought that clarity because, you know, that he even, you know, re- kind of reorged the organization around migratory pathways <laughs> You know, it's just everything was about the birds. And there was this really clear strategy that that we could refer back to in all of our work. It wasn't like, oh, I'm this executive. And so what I say goes, it was like, no, here's a very clear plan and set of priorities. And that makes it really easy to make, you know, design choices because you're like, well, you can re- you can refer all the way back up to the overall strategy of the organization going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, David being a, a newspaper guy, especially and he also was sort of a photo background as well. You know, he he got it immediately. And, you know, when we were going in the direction we started heading with huge, big, bold imagery and, you know, a little more tone and voice and he got it. And that's, I think, a luxury, you know, in terms of the way this project went, because it's certainly not always the case where you know, your CEO is kind of the starting point of the the change. 
it's it's quite often the opposite. Yeah. I love working with journalists because dissent and argument and kicking the tires is part of the process for how they work and, and, you know, not something outside the process. So they expect all of that to happen. And, and there's also a, a, a timeline attached to it. Like we will argue about this for 10 minutes, at which point we will make a decision and then we will move on to the next thing. Every time we've worked with journalists, it's the same. Argue, argue, argue. Okay, stop. Move on. And it's fun. And it's because, every, like, everybody really cares. And that's that's really what I thought the arguments came from. The argument came from, like, oh, I there's something here I really care about because ultimately, like, and everybody was like, we're doing this for the birds, quite literally. Mm-hmm. And everything came down to that. Even, like, after our... Uh, like our first big presentation after discovery, you know, David came and sat with us and he's like, okay, just remember, it's about the birds. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a luxury. I mean, yeah. I still feel, it's, I'm, I still feel so lucky, you know, coming from a for-profit publishing background specifically, it's just, you know, to have that at the core mm-hmm. of everything you do and to, to that be the sort of driving energy of the whole endeavor is people just being really into this, you know, part of the natural world is just, we're just so lucky because you can play it so many different ways. You know, you can, you can satisfy that sort of passion in a endless variety of ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really cool. Going to that endless variety of stuff. So it's a complicated organization because there's, because, you know, you're with national, right. In, in New York. And then there are these state offices and then there are the nature centers you mentioned. And like the system we were working on had to serve all of these constituencies. Uh, can you like talk a little bit about that? Cause that, I mean, that was a, a big part of it. It wasn't just because what we absolutely did not want to do is say, Oh, you know, national's going to just decide something. And then, like send it out to everybody else. Like we knew that that just would not work. And it was really, you know, the the second project, which was kind of rolling out this new platform and new design to all of our state office websites and nature center websites who all have their own standalone websites that they all maintain independently. That was a huge amount of work. It was, again, a constituency of people who were definitely ready for change. The previous platform was just difficult to use and it was you know definitely a major impediment to them getting stuff up on their website and you know at this level of the organization we're dealing with lots of different sizes of staff who come from lots of different backgrounds and it can range from a state office like in california who has their own sort of communications team whose staff is running the website to a nature center where it's a staff of two people and you know, they're running all the programs, they're coordinating volunteers, they're maintaining the facility and the grounds. Um, and by the way, they're also running a website, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a really striking range of people we were serving with this. So that was a pretty big project. And we got to talk to a lot of those people. Yeah. We being, you know, Mule plus your team together and we figured out what their needs actually were and, and their needs were, you know, all over the map because like you said, you had like two people in one place and, you know, like 50 people in another place. And we had to create, we had to develop a system that worked for both sets of people. So there was, there was a lot of talking to them and listening to them and figuring out like how we could actually help them. We all went out to Richardson Bay together, didn't we? And 
we did beautiful center yep. center there. And I remember, I remember you being sort of struck by, you know, when we we're talking through what they need and what could serve them. It's like, well, if we could just get the Wi-Fi to work, so our webcam, you know, our bird cam would work. That would be great. And it was a perfect sort of illustration of the wide range of, of needs and just try to serve that wide of a spectrum. I mean, again, it's just, I can't say that we left this project with that solved. You know, that's just something that this organization inherently works with on a daily basis. And I was trying to improve, you know, how to serve such a wide kind of variety of different parts of the organization who all, are all interfacing with our members and our our audience in different ways too and at, and at different places. Yeah, because like some some of these places are areas that you can visit or even have events at like Richardson Bay. Other places are just completely remote preserved areas. Yeah. And I think a, a key part was like talking to people and, and talking to them like because they understood their circumstance. It was again like this is this is a theme that we always like repeat. I think repeat over and over again is like you, you got to understand the context. And like, yeah, it was like, oh, they don't, they have super spotty internet connectivity. <laughs> yeah. And nobody wants to be handed a solution. They want to take part in, yeah. in, in that solution. And, you know, that that's still something that organizations have a hard time understanding is mm-hmm. that you don't just show up at somebody's doorstep and say, I've solved all your problems. We had no ability to even pretend that that's what we were doing just because, you know, the it was basically me working with a very small team and needing to work with 60 odd different independent entities to get their websites redesigned and to migrate over to new platforms. So inherently the process we made had to be, you know, they had to drive it. You know, the right. folks running the site absolutely had to be doing a big chunk of the work when it came down to it. So yeah, that was kind of a, a secondary benefit of that, I think. Yeah. And I mean, we we were showing up, you know, to, to provide help, not sure what kind of help that was, but it's like, we, we're here to help you. And, you know, then they would tell us what they need. And, you know, ultimately what we delivered to people was like the f- first step of trying to make things better. But there was an understanding on everybody's part that, this isn't perfect. It's something that's going to have to continue evolving and we're going to all have to keep working towards. And because they had been, you know, included in that initial part of the process, they were totally cool with that because it's like, okay, this isn't, this isn't a solution. I mean, this isn't a perfect solution, but it's something that we, we all, we're at least all starting to solve together. Yeah. And even just communicating the notion that a website can be a more fluid thing you know because it was like i said the previous platform was just so restrictive and i think it was just hard especially for people who aren't their job is something else in the context of audubon their job is to run a nature center it's not to run a website and to sort of even kind of reframe the idea that updating the website doesn't have to take all day to put you know your update your events calendar or something like that that was that was sort of a thing we kind of an idea we had to champion you know, that you yep. can change this all the time. You know, you don't, it's not just stuck there, which, you know, was, that was the way the previous sites were working for them. Yeah. And I remember that's something that, that we went into was a lot of skepticism and a lot of mentioning of, oh, the previous redesign when we were handed a template that was really one size fits all. And that's, and we, we had to spend time with people to really let them tell us everything that was wrong 
and, and sit with that and hear that before we could ever talk about suggesting something. Yeah, there's a lot of trust building that had to happen because, you know, these people got screwed <laughs> at one yeah, point. Yeah, a huge part of my my initial year or two here was just soaking in the pain that <laughs> others have experienced in the past. <laughs> Thankfully, it was pain that I could join them in marveling at because I wasn't around when it was inflicted on them. But yeah, you totally have to do that and to to both sort of fuel the requirements of the project and also just as a psychological exercise, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's another thing I want to, I really want to highlight because here, you know, we're at in the Bay area where everybody's like moving fast and breaking things and, you know, trying to like deliver, deliver, deliver and code, code, code. And the idea that if for an organization to have this kind of like lasting change and get in a position where you can do a wider range of cool new stuff, it takes like, it's like you got to go slow to go fast sort of thing. Like it really does take that time with people and talking and listening. And then once you've done that, then you can do cool things that are different and interesting and maybe a little risky, but you can't just go into an, a, an established organization and say, okay, things aren't great and we're just going to totally change them real fast for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of the the allure of moving fast and breaking things is just getting out of those conversations completely. Because if you can move quickly and build something and then it's done, there's kind of no more conversation to be had. It just becomes the new reality that, people have to catch up to. And I think mm-hmm. that there's just such confidence <laughs> and such delusion <laughs> that it will be the the new reality that for people to to come up to. But it's it's like it's such a gamble. And I, I feel like right now we see lots of Silicon Valley based companies really trying to kind of sell this message that they're going to help other organizations kind of catch up. Right. Yeah. That there's been this like gap and that, you know, they're like post all of these paper-based processes. And so, you know, just catch up to the new paradigm. But if that is actually their goal, they have to figure out where to meet the processes and the people in these organizations where they are. And that's that's so challenging. And it seems to have worked so well with Audubon, because at least for me growing up, like Audubon was such a paper-based <laughs> idea, right? Like we Did you get the magazine? We got the calendar and it was great. <laughs> and like when I was in first grade, I was like, I want to be a scientist and I want to be a member of the Audubon Society. You know, it was like uh, I loved I loved birds because of that of that calendar. And so shifting that to primarily a, a an experience without paper maybe is crazy. And what actually the bulk of a lot of businesses here need to figure out whether they're kind of going for that directly or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too is like, oh, we'll come up with a tool for collaboration. That's right. And that's code for, oh, we're going to come up with a a system, some software that will allow you to not have uncomfortable conversations. Right. Whereas like you, the John, <laughs> had, you went in with this willingness of like, my job is to go around the organization and have 1000 uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's design in a nutshell. Yeah, it's it's listening and and doing all of this work ahead of time to ensure that you're actually 
making things that people need. But I mean, the, this is something I tell like, you know, young designers all the time. The best design tool in the world is your ears. Mm. Just use them. Listen to what people are telling you. And I mean, you can build, 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 build things and throw them all against the wall and maybe one of them will be right. Or you can just listen. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of avoiding those conversations moving faster, I mean, the other thing, both internally in an organization and also I think externally with users, that's the big issue. You know, our audience is largely older. People drawn to birding are older and they interact with these sorts of products that we're building in a, you know, in a very different way than mm. an audience yeah. that is, you know, maybe has grown up with websites and apps their whole lives. Um, obviously we want to expand, we want to be inclusive to all these audience and expand the number of young people who are getting the calendar and wanting to be into birds from a really young age. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work to talk to your users and to build something that works for them. And I, again, I can't say that we've succeeded every time. It's a constant challenge. And I think, you know, one thing that drew us to you guys was, you know, Erica's sort of strong research, how that was such a core part of everything you were doing. I mean, we knew that was just going to be a requirement for us, just because we had all of this stuff we needed to get out on the table first. Yeah. And it's surprising, like we're still having conversations about that. It's still, I'd say, a challenge for a lot of organizations to really understand and embrace research. And so we found, like we thought, you know, we were talking about, you know, different new services and ways of, of working with clients that, that we could offer. And we thought, well, you know, everybody knows, everybody's got the research thing down, right? And then we started having more and more people come to us who are like, hey, can you help us develop a research practice? Because as, as much as I figure like, oh, don't people know how to go about that now in 2018? There is still a lot of misunderstanding or not really knowing where to start or uh, trying to talk managers who have this really quantitative mindset into, you know, how effective it is to talk to people, like having to make that case, like, like all of that is still, still a big issue for all sorts of organizations. And also how to apply the research too. you know, the, apply what you learn during the research period. I mean, that's hugely challenging. And I feel like that is something that can go a million different ways, you know, I don't think the research we did for this project sent us down a totally different path that we wouldn't have gone on otherwise, which is not to say that it you know, wasn't valuable. But I think some people, sort of me included at the very beginning of this, were like, oh, well, we'll do research and then we'll have a, we'll know exactly what to do. And we'll sort of know that some of our assumptions were right and some of them were wrong. And, you know, you don't always just leave the research phase with a clear way to apply it. And I think that's something else that's, that's a huge challenge. So how did you address that in, internally, like that kind of discomfort once the like research phase was finished and the next phase of work was beginning? And because I, I see that a lot, like people have more questions than answers sometimes. And, you know, it takes many research projects to realize that that's a good sign. But I know that must be hard for like an organization that's just made a major investment in research. Yeah, I mean, it makes you, in our case, you know, we it made us look back whenever we were sort of faced with a, a question that sort of uncertainty and later, especially later on in the project with rolling the platform out more widely here, we had to remind ourselves to look back to the research we did. And, you know, again, it's not like you're just looking up in an index, the answer to a question that's being posed to you. You have to kind of 
do some critical thinking around what the research told you and try to imagine how it applies to these different sorts of questions that ultimately arise. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, for sure. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the rollout? Because that was, I mean, that was a huge undertaking. And I think the way that your team thought about it and planned it and phased it seemed very like it was well considered because there was, I mean, there's just a lot of content to wrangle. There were a lot of different people with different capacities to write and source all of the imagery and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, we joked, we called it the great migration because there were a lot of bird puns in this project. (laughs) Inescapable. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there were a ton of Google Sheets, I guess, is one way to put it. Yeah, we had a ton of content that had accrued sort of over time on the old platform that, you know, we knew we wanted to just wipe the slate clean in a lot of ways, but, you know, we weren't also in a position to completely redo everything, you know, because we had, again, I I came in with a focus on building websites. I, I, I didn't know how to write, you know, what our position on wind power was. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and I still don't know how to write that document. And, you know, so we had to depend on people across the organization with this expertise. But like you say, they weren't necessarily, their job wasn't to write the marketing copy for our position on wind power for the website. So we couldn't just toss everything out and rewrite everything. We had this sort of elaborate triage spreadsheet that we used for each kind of section of the site where, you know, we had everybody go through everything that was there and graded it on, you know, is this, do we throw this in the garbage? Uh, is this good as is? Or is this something that needs to be there, but it needs work? And, you know, then we we were the people, and I was working with the people who are the writers and the communicators, and that's their sort of specific role here. We would then dig in with them on the stuff that was marked in work and just try to frame that out for them. And, you know, we were basically doing, like, a series of little mini information architecture projects within the broader information architecture project. So that's kind of how our rollout with the national site went. And then when it came time to roll this out to the state and centers, I mean, they were dealing with the same sort of content issues of having a lot of stuff there that either doing the job now or it wasn't. And we worked with them on the same way to just to try to start chipping away at what was at the end of the day, an information architecture exercise. And we had a challenge there. We couldn't just sort of prescribe top down that like, these are your five main content categories, you know, or, you know, nav links. Every center and site and state office often had sort of things they needed to be in their navigation that were major content areas that others just didn't have. So that was a challenge to sort of build in the right amount of consistency because, you know, we do a lot of work to try to maintain our brand consistency across the whole network. So we wanted that aspect to be strong, but also to allow enough flexibility for a center that rents out their facility for events, for instance, to have that be really prominent on their site. You know, just to use a really small example where, you know, that doesn't apply to every center. So that we had to work with them to really do that same exercise, but with just way more variations. And something else we did, I think, that is maybe useful since we had to do this basically 60 times with 60 different websites we 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 had to break it into phases and you know we had one sort of pilot group that we worked on really closely and really hands-on and part of the output of that pilot group was to then 
also help us generate the process that was going to operate with less hands-on intervention from us for the rest of the sites because yeah, we just didn't have the resources on our end to really dig in and really get hands-on with 60 different web migration projects. So that was also kind of, I think, an important realization is that the output of one phase of the process had to be another process <laughs> that could then just sort of run by itself. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. And I think like, I think this is one of the, the reasons I was keen on, on talking to you is just going over like how much work something like this was. It's not like you get designers into like, oh, we've talked to everybody. Uh, here's a template. Okay. Just install the template. Right. It really like what makes a great system that really like engages people and works on all these different levels is really a thousand like these uncomfortable conversations. It's these plans. It's like so many spreadsheets, so many processes that like it's the quality of those choices. Right. The qual- we all we, we've been talking about like, oh, design is really it's a series of decisions and choices. Like everybody focuses on like a nice artifact. Yeah. And for us, you know, we were kind of continuously preaching the old content is king hobby horse just because there isn't a, a tendency, especially if this is not, you know, what you do every day to sort of view a website or just sort of fixate in on the parts of a website that are maybe feel really sort of significant and meaningful or, or crucial, you know, from a kind of packaging standpoint versus thinking about content and thinking about how often are we going to update this content and, you know, what are people actually coming here? All the sort of basic stuff you ask about before you build a thing. But that was really important for us to have those, to really drive home that narrative too, because, you know, it's not about what color the navigation bar is at the end of the day. It's about, you know, we, we, I remember we did a lot of work to try to get people to fixate on the right things. And, you know, that's always a challenge. So since then, like that whole website project was insufficient work. So then you went off and you made an app. That's right. Tell us a little bit about that. What, like why, why an app? And, uh, and if anything that like anything you learned in like the website process uh, influenced that at all or? Yeah. So the app has been, had been around for a long time, you know, well before my arrival as well. And it was, mm-hmm. it's a field guide for identifying birds. It's basically the same content that's in the bird guide section of our website. And the story of the app was kind of an interesting one where it was first created way long ago as sort of a licensing deal with Audubon just sort of licensed their name and another company had developed the app and were maintaining it um, as sort of a totally separate endeavor. But, you know, obviously mobile is crucial to everyone's lives and we needed to sort of take more ownership of this. So. Yeah, this spring we relaunched a totally new version. We pretty much overhauled everything and we have a lot of plans for it moving forward to sort of integrate it deeper with the organization, um, make it easier to get involved, volunteering near you, what Audubon stuff is happening nearby, all kinds of plans. And yeah, it was it was a major, a big rollout. It was different in that the, the, plat, the, the way that sort of that mobile platforms can give you that just immediate feedback in the form of ratings was, uh, you know, you don't see that on your Mm -hmm. web projects. You don't have an an immediate sense for how your users are reacting. And, you know, we changed everything in a digital product that had been more or less untouched and, you know, was showing its age in every respect. It's not easy to sort of marshal that level of change across your entire organization. But, you know, it's sort of analogous to Audubon. I mean, we've 
since you guys have left us, the organization has evolved so much. We're like our, our Washington, D.C. office, where our, our policy team is, among others, are headquartered was just a handful of people when I started. And now they're they're redoing their office because they can't fit any more bodies. In, wow. You know? wow. And, you know, that level of expertise and just sort of resources to draw from has just continued to go up. You know, and, and it's every part of this organization has to evolve because, you know, when you have an organization that's been around for as long as we have, things just sort of can sit there. And especially an organization that does as much as we do. They're, we're not an organization that makes apps. You know, I, I make an app for the organization um, that hopefully serves the organization's goals, but, you know, we're not an app company. So yeah. you kind of have to go through this same process of, of radical change and evolution and holding your users' hands as you go through that change over and over again. <laughs> it's fun. That's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. So the so you saw the last thing is just like as as we wrap up, like what advice would you give, like based on all your experiences, because you've had to like work with so many like internal constituencies and external audiences and external partners. Like if if there's there are other organizations out there that are like large and complex and considering some sort of big change project or large redesign or something like this, like what what advice would you leave them with? Hmm. I mean, I think it's, I think it's just sort of in line with what we've been talking about is that you have to have your internal team really ready to go and capable to do a lot of this work. I mean, that's honestly what I told lots of the folks who reached out to us about who did your awesome website and, you know, talking to them about working with you guys. It was sometimes when you're talking to someone who's looking to hire a designer to do a big web relaunch is that you, you get the sense that they're hoping for someone to just come in and do everything and just sort of yeah. parachute in with all the answers, you know, and not to be too cynical, but to, to, to take a lot of the blame if the thing fails. And I think that's like what I told a lot of those folks who were maybe coming from that perspective. And also I, what I would tell anyone is that, you know, be prepared to do a ton of this work on your own and be prepared to make a lot of really important decisions the designer is not going to make all these decisions for you, uh, nor should they. And just to really kind of make sure your capacity internally is is ready. And a lot of organizations just want you to show up at the pitch meeting with a, a solution. Yeah. Which I always find amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's the bottom line. Sadly, what's mm-hmm. even worse than that is that a lot of design studios show up at the pitch meeting with the solution. Yeah. And and then spend the, the entire project reverse engineering it to um, kind of maybe sort of fit in with how the organization actually works. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. So it's kind of paradoxical. Like, how can you come up with a solution that fast and have it work? And then also. Well, you can't. You <laughs> how can't. Can it's it? pure bullshit. But I mean, if you believe that, right, it's like there's two things being measured. Like one, how quickly can you just like do it? And then two, it should be really expensive and take a long time. So it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. John. <laughs> have, have, so I was, uh, so, so this has nothing to do with anything except uh, Audubon. Have you seen American animals? No, I don't think so. What oh is- my God. Okay, so it came out this year, and I I, I watched it on a plane uh, because it was a heist movie, and I love heist movies. And then uh, the heist was these group of college kids 
that steal a, a, a rare copy of uh, Audubon's uh, Birds of North America from a college library. Yeah. How did I not know about them? And I'm watching it. I'm like, whoa, I know that book. I know those people. <laughs> so it's very exciting. And it's a good movie, too. Wow. I'm, I'm adding it to the list. But I'm amazed that, that you're not all watching it at work together. I am, too. To be honest, I don't. Maybe maybe we collectively missed this. I'm sure someone here has seen it, but yeah, man, we gotta we gotta see it. Yeah, get on that. And by the way, I have to mention you can download all of the high resolution John James Audubon prints from Audubon.org, which are beautiful. They are. Yes. And you don't you don't have to knock off a college library to to see those pictures anymore, kids. <laughs> yeah, you can just go right to the website. This was a true story, by the way. The movie's a true story. Yeah. Birds, man, they're powerful. They, they motivate people to do Transylvania things. University. What? Yeah, which is in Lexington, Kentucky. What? Yep. Oh, okay. That's where this happened. It's added to the list. There's a cultural note there. Well, this was fun. Yeah. Yeah. John, thanks so much for, for taking the time. My pleasure. Hope it was helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. To to reinforce our message of, hey, everybody. Doing things well is a lot of work yeah. <laughs> and a lot of uncomfortable conversations. But it's not as much work as doing things badly and then redoing them. That is true. Yeah. That is true. And then never getting it right ever. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other, that's a topic for, for another episode. <laughs> Thanks, John. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And say hi to everybody over there at the Audubon Society. Yeah, tell everybody how much we miss I them. I will. Yeah. Mike, I'm still waiting for my Christmas ham this year. It hasn't arrived yet. I sent, So I sent two hams one year. That should cover this That's year. That's true. <laughs> true. I, can't, I can't fault you for the okay. lack of ham sending. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, you've realized you're, you've unleashed a, a deluge of hams coming, coming getting, your way now. Now he's getting a goddamn ham. He's the ham of the month club. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Yeah. VOD underscore rocks. V-O-D underscore R-O-C-K-S. Yes, it's on Twitter. That's okay. how people talk to us. I'm not. No, but yeah. our podcast is. Yes. Sure. You cannot find Mike on Twitter, but you can find. You can find podcast. him on LinkedIn. Yeah. And you can find John's fantastic work for the National Audubon Society at Audubon.org. Yes. And in the iOS and Google Play stores, please get the app if you haven't. That's right. Yeah, get the app. I'm going to get there, the app. Watch some birds. It's really cool. Birds Next time I go to Nebraska, I'm going to have the app. That's Yeah. And, and if you're out there birding with your Audubon app in hand, mm-hmm. tracking your birds, mm-hmm. and, and, you ha- and, and you're running a Jonathan Franzen, please strike up a conversation with him. <laughs> he loves that. He loves, getting, uh, he loves getting selfies taken. All birders do. So please. They're there for the conversation. Yeah. No, bir- no, birders are not there for the conversation. Yeah, that was a joke. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah no, they're there to silently hug, hug him. If you run into Jonathan Franzen in the wild, hug him. Okay. Well, he we'll, needs we'll a hug. Leave you with that now. Okay. All right. Cool. I think we're done there. Thanks so much, John. That was right. awesome. Bye, John. Talk to you later. 